Hey, baseball fans, this is Derek Van Riper. Now that spring training games are underway, opening day is just a few weeks away. Eno Saris and I have been getting ready for the season all winter on Rates and Barrels. Whether you're a seasoned fantasy player, a baseball stats junkie, or just someone who wants to learn more about the game, join us for four episodes each week this season, including our new Friday live stream with former big leaguer Trevor May. Check out the live stream on Fridays at 1 o'clock Eastern on the Rates and Barrels YouTube channel, or listen to the show wherever you enjoy your podcasts, including the ad-free option on the Athletic app. The Athletic Football Show. Welcome, everybody, to the Football GM Podcast. Mike Sando here from The Athletic with the GM, Randy Mueller. Happy post Thanksgiving, Randy. Happy holidays. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Mike. You're happy to have one holiday behind us, but I like the holidays, so we're still in the middle of it. I kind of lost my stinger a little bit. I came to Idaho a, a day ago, and it hasn't stopped snowing since I got here. So <laughs> I've, been, I've already plowed three times, and I'm ready wow. to head to the sunshine. You know, it's crazy. Wow, you better. I can connect you to Sean McDermott's guy. He helped dig him out of there. <laughs> yeah, no get kidding. You <laughs> dug out as well. You know, I love this time of year, too. You know, we, we did, uh, wife's got the upstairs, like, so cozy with the tree and these little like fake birch trees that light up and these candles the candles are on remote control you ever seen that these little no. candles you <laughs> no. do a remote control they look that's like that's above my pay grade i can no i mean you. this whole thing look i'm like we just need a roaring fire in here i could just spend like a week sitting yeah. on the couch there with the blanket and all that except i wouldn't get any of the podcast done or any of the work done but uh yeah love this time of year it's cold here too uh on the west side of uh, Washington State. So hope everyone out there is having good holidays. We got a lot to talk about. The topics never take a holiday around here. Uh, we are going to discuss kind of some interesting stuff on the Packers with our spin on it and Randy's spin on really what, how we should be thinking about what they're doing or not doing with, with Aaron Rodgers and who their quarterback is going to be next year into the future. Uh, there's a lot to talk about on the front of some of these uh, teams that could be looking for new coaches or already are. We'll bring some perspectives to that. Uh, we're going to talk about the Bengals. Maybe some grudging respect given to the <laughs> Bengals here. The Football GM podcast. Been a little skeptical on Cincy, but uh, we will talk about that. Greg Roman's name coming up for the Stanford job gives us a great ability or entree into the topic of Lamar Jackson, the offense there, what they should do, what they shouldn't do. Uh, we do have the GM notebook this week, a couple other topics, our picks. I think we were decent in our picks. Not too bad last week. So we'll see how it goes this time. But Mr. Mueller, let's start out with a little bit of Packer conversation. You up for it? Yeah, I'm ready to go. I mean, we've had McAfee's show in the books, right? So there should be plenty to talk about. I mean, we all sit around and wait for that every week now. So Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So basically, Cliff Notes version of our intro here on Rodgers. He starts but does not finish the game against Philly. Jordan Love comes in. Looks pretty good. Thought he looked pretty good. Six of nine hundred and some yards. Seemed to be throwing on time. Maybe looking a little better. We'll see if the actual football expert, Randy Mueller, uh, <laughs> agrees with me. Would you agree, though? Jordan Love looked pretty good, right? Yeah, I thought he looked really good, actually. Yeah. He had plenty of zip on the ball. And, and I just yeah. thought moved with some sharpness and, and yeah. made decisions sharp as well. So I, yeah. I think he was a plus for his little bit of time he was in there, for sure. 
Yeah, that was impressive and certainly better than what we saw him before, right? Uh, the Kansas City game that he started, it was very rudimentary, you know, right? Well, and he's another year into it. I mean, yeah. this is a better player than he was a year ago. He'll yeah. probably be better a year from now. So it just mm -hmm. takes time and everybody develops, you know, in a different time frame and calendar. We as fans and, and even evaluators can't put a time on how somebody evaluates how long. It's like maturity with us, yeah. right? Some of us mature at age 25, some mature right. at age 60. It just changes. You know, you don't know. Yeah, I'm still waiting for that moment. Yeah, I'm with I, you. When you and I mature. But uh, if you're the Pack, I think this is how I'd like to come at this, uh, you know, and you can go whatever direction you want. But if you're the Packers, I'm going to ask a series of questions here. If you're the Packers, do you know for sure who your starting quarterback is in 2023? Was that die cast when Rodgers did his new expensive deal? Are we, we being the Packers, are we hoping to look at Jordan Love because we might want to trade him, because we might want to start him and trade Rodgers, because we – might want to keep Jordan Love another year, even if we don't do the fifth-year option and then maybe figure out what we want to do after that. What do you think's on the table here, Randy, and what is interesting to you about well, that situation? Yeah, that's a lot of angles for sure and a lot of different ways to go with it. The first thing for me is I do think the die was cast when they signed Rodgers to the long-term deal. Okay. I think they had to commit for not only this year but next year and just the basics of the contract. And here's why. We've watched Green Bay make conservative decision after conservative decision. They're, they're setting club precedent every day. Everything they do is methodical and very uh, deliberate. And I just don't see them changing face and moving Aaron Rodgers at this point. Having said that, I think it benefits everybody to get Jordan Love some time. I just don't think that Aaron Rodgers is ever going to allow that. I think he has too much cachet. I, have we seen anything that he's done in the last year, year and a half that is going to lend itself to not being self-serving? Probably not. I mean, you could even go back as, as far as yesterday to the McAfee show when he announced he's going to play this week. I thought that was almost crazy uh, for him to say that, even though he didn't think about anybody but himself. This is done weekly around the NFL where the quarterback uh, decision is somewhat held close to the vest by franchises for opposition prep time, for just, you know, messaging uh, with your opponents. And he took all guesswork out of that and then come to find out he didn't even practice on Wednesday. So they could have sat on this till probably Thursday or Friday and had the Bears oh, prepare yeah. and had them prepare for a Jordan Love and spin it to where it really helps the team. He didn't have any interest in doing that. He couldn't wait to say the things that he said. So there's, there's some issues still with, with what he's going to do. Least of all, do I think he's going to pull the car over, get out of the car, and let somebody else drive? And he's, oh, by the way, I'll just sit in the back seat and not have anything to say about it. While his replacement drives the car. I just don't see him ever acquiescing to that, at least not for a few more weeks. Yeah. Okay, so I want to. there's two things that came to my mind. I was writing them down so I wouldn't forget uh, in that. And the first one was, okay, I totally agree on the Packers being deliberate. You know, they, we talked about, they don't do they even know how to acquire a player at the trade deadline, all that stuff. Right. Now, that being said, they have shown an ability to trade a player away, Devontae Adams. And of course, years ago when it was different people in the front office, but also deliberate front office, they traded Brett Favre. So uh, is there any way that they could get to the end of the season and then even have it be somewhat amicable, but decide they want to go what they sort of wanted to do a couple of years ago when they drafted Jordan Love and find a way out of this to where you delay this, this, the payment of a bonus and move him. Is that a deliberate enough move uh, that could be done when you have the benefit of, a, of months or weeks of the offseason? Or do you think the Packers would be 
you know, their their inability to make other moves would prevent even that type of move after they did it with Devante. Well, I think they did it with Devante and, and put that on the on the feet of the salary cap, right? They couldn't build yeah. a team around paying a receiver 28, 29 million a year. I have no doubt they can move Aaron Rodgers if that's what they decide to do. Now, we don't know the details of the contract, but your points are all valid. They would have an in, insider look at a couple a couple wide spots in the road where they could jump off at the right time. That is the Aaron Rodgers contract. I don't know that they would do that. Um, it would be, to me, uh, the next level or maybe two levels above trading Devontae Adams and sending him to the Raiders. I just, I don't so, know yeah. that that's possible in this deal. But I said two months ago, and I think you agreed, all things have to be on the table. Just yeah. because the season has gone south, it's a it's a dynamic that I'm not sure is going to work with him, with Lafleur, with just the way their defense is underachieved. They've got issues there, in my opinion. Oh, so they're going to have to fix. A, yeah, they're going to have to fix a lot of things. It's not all, not all on Aaron Rodgers. And at the end of the day, in my opinion, Rodgers is still a really good passer of the football. Oh, we yeah. can talk about the thumb being an issue. We can talk about the ribs now. But would I want Aaron Rodgers as my quarterback? Yes. And so they're not going to find have trouble finding a home for him at all and probably getting some compensation for him if that's what they want. He I don't know that the contract's yeah. going to allow. He upgrades 30 teams probably at quarterback tomorrow. Yeah, no tomorrow. doubt. Yeah. yeah. So, but um, it comes with a price. And, oh, yeah, yeah. And it's every Tuesday having to fight yeah. dialogue and fight the narrative and, and everything else yeah. that goes on with him kind of being in charge. And there's not a lot of GMs at a lot of places that are willing to relinquish that right of running your own team. Now, all of that said, we uh, we also came to a conclusion through the end of last season that he did seem to be more on the same page with Brian Gutekunst and and some of the the leaders there. Right? Didn't we get that sense that uh, the you know that what had been chilly and remember that off season before uh, and you know he was mocking Gutekunst in text to friends. We feel like they're at least on a respectable footing right now, right? That there's at least some rapport or involvement of Aaron Rodgers in the when they discuss things. Would you? Would you? I think 100, percent and that's okay. there. That would not preclude me from being the GM, and if something was right, trading him. Uh, I mean, that's just yeah. business, right? I mean, this is I'm the guy. No, who no, had, yeah. I'm the guy that had lunch with Ricky Williams in New Orleans two days before we traded him to Miami. Well, it's just business it's, is business, right? You got to do it, what you got to do. But you actually need to have the, if you have that rapport, it actually could help you do a deal is what I'm saying, because Rogers has to be amenable and involved to whatever you're going to do. Now, what you said a minute ago about, uh, hey, when has Aaron Rodgers ever done something that's not in his best interest? And I, I, th- I felt, and I, and I agree with the spirit of that, but I felt like after the game, he said, I got two thoughts on this. After the game, he said, uh, hey, if I'm healthy this week, I'm playing. Okay, as long as we're in it, I'm playing. I expect to play. But he also said, now look, once we're eliminated, as much as I have pride, as much as I'm a competitor, I do understand there's a conversation to be had about what we do next, right? And so to me, I wonder, could it be in Aaron Rodgers' best interests longer term if Jordan Love plays, okay? And so, because I don't think Aaron Rodgers is feeling threatened by Jordan Love, okay, at this stage. But Mm -hmm. if Jordan Love goes out there uh, and plays well, um, that could help Aaron Rodgers because, well, I guess if he wants out of there, they feel like they've got a guy that can replace him and they could could trade him. Or if they decided they wanted to move 
Jordan Love, he could have greater value, and that could help Aaron Rodgers. Hey, you know what? Let's get a whatever we pick we can get, and let's let's put it back uh, into the roster. So that was a little bit of you know that's a little bit more long-term thinking possibly for Rodgers there. Could Rodgers already know that he's coming back next year? They've talked about this. Hey, this is a two-year thing so that he could feel comfortable letting Love play in a manner like I said that it could actually help him, right? If they can get value for him and he's not going to feel threatened by Jordan Love doing it and they're kind of out of it anyway. He knows they're not going to go on a big win streak. What do you think of that? I think those are all uh, valid points and I did see a little bit of humility in his statements as well. Um, we'll see where that goes as the weeks tick off. I think right now they still mathematically have a chance. Yep. Um, their next couple games, I think, are winnable. I don't think they're a playoff team, and at some point that door is going to close, in my opinion. Then we'll see. I guess I'm just a little – I'm not really drinking the, the Rodgers best for the team Kool-Aid yet. <laughs> maybe I just <laughs> – Maybe that's the GM in me that just, yeah. I'm waiting for it to be slapped upside the back of the head, you know, like you did when you were a kid, where you just whack him in the back of the head and he's, come on, you dumb dumb. You should have known that. I'm not, yeah. I'm not ready to, to buy Trust. in. Yeah, I'm not ready to buy in yet. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not either. I, I think it would be, I think it's an interesting situation um, there for sure. And, and maybe we don't know what's been said behind the scenes or what assurances there are, what conversations or what his plans even are. I, I don't see him retiring, certainly. I mean, there's too much money on the table. And like you said, he can still throw the ball great. Yeah, no doubt. The one narrative I do think we can expunge is the fact that the Packers have to get something out of Jordan Love because they picked him in the first round. I got news for you. NFL teams waste first round picks all the time. So I, And I don't think it's been a waste. I actually think it's supplied them with an ample backup and – I'm still not sure yeah. that in the back of my mind that he hasn't made Aaron Rodgers refocus, refine everything he's done the last two years to come back to being an MVP because I didn't think he was an MVP three years ago when they drafted Jordan Love. I just wow. didn't see it. And, and I think we all need to feel at some point we're replaceable. And I think once Aaron had a little humble pie and said, whoa, they might move on. I think he's up this game since then. So I think their first round pick was already uh, shown value, even even though yeah. that Jordan Love hasn't played. That's just my opinion. Well, their only recourse this offseason is to draft another quarterback early then. Let's get Aaron going again. <laughs> well, hey, <laughs> if, 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 well, let me ask you this. Would you do it if you knew you were going to get two more years of MVP play? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I, I would. would. Yeah, I would. Especially you know, where I, they picked him. I think the fascinating thing is, you know, like – for whatever Aaron Rodgers' faults are, I think that, you know, this year they really got to a point where the weaponry was terrible. And I think the development of Christian Watson has been an encouraging sign and gives them maybe finally a young guy with some speed. There's that mm -hmm. that word you always covet, you know, in those types of players, you got to be able to get down the field. Maybe they have somebody young they can build around for next season in, in restoring the receiving core so that the offense does and Rodgers do look great again. That seems plausible yeah. to me. And it's helped their running game. I don't care what anybody says. And I thought this by drafting Christian Watson, I thought they would get this even if he didn't yeah. refine his trait, even if he didn't come developed and polished and it took time. I thought his speed alone would soften coverage and soften the way people played and defended their run game. And I think that has too when he's been back and not only is he healthy and playing good now, Watson I'm referring to, is that it's made their running game even more of a of a weapon for them. And that's what I thought the Packers would have to be from week one on. Yep. What's the first thing you do if you had an extra hour in your day? 
Go for a run? Take a nap? Read a book? Show up for a friend? Show up for yourself? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Showing up for yourself, that's a big one. That's exactly what therapy is, doing what you need to do, carving out the time that you need to make sure that you can show up for yourself and take care of what you need. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash maze today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash maze. Let's get into some of these head coach openings, Randy. We've got several of them on here, some interesting uh, angles on this. We'll start with the two teams that are already open, Carolina. Uh, Steve Welk's doing pretty well there, but we, I think we both do agree the owner's probably going to look for a, a big name, a big fish there. He went after Matt Rule uh, last time. And speaking of Matt Rule, uh, it reminded me of the days. You saw what Matt Rule said, right, today? That, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. What, what did you think of that? I thought it was... Oh, how's, what's the right word for it? Um, <laughs> I thought it was a little Bush League, even his comments. to say, I, I think less of Matt now than, than I did okay. before I heard it. That's all. I mean, those who haven't heard it, he, he talked about not being aligned with the people um, in his own building by saying how aligned he was with the Nebraska people. So that kind of was, a I thought, a backhanded compliment. The other thing was he said that, uh, when he went to Carolina, that they had a four or five year plan in place. That's why his contract was so long. And he thought he was going to have more time to rebuild it. To me, that was a bunch of crap. I mean, long term in the NFL, if you think more than two years, you're an yeah. idiot. OK, you, you're, 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 <laughs> you've put your head in the sand and not realize what the NFL is all about. Nobody gets a four or five year plan. And that made no sense to me at all. He said he would have built the team different. He he would have not drafted and developed players. That's hogwash. You're going to draft and develop players no matter what. You just add to it when you add free agency and some other things. They, they made some trades. A year ago, they traded for two or three defensive backs, remember, from other teams. Yeah. So they gave picks away. They've also swung and missed on quarterback two or three times. And I don't know whose fault and where the fingers go and all that, but Matt was in charge of all this. So... I didn't buy anything that he said. God bless him. I hope he, I think he's a good guy, and I actually think he's a really good coach. Maybe the college way to build a team is best for him. But to say that he thought he had a four or five year plan and he never got a chance and it changed to a two year plan, I thought it was borderline yeah. comical. Just a comical for me. That's ridiculous. You know, back in the day, uh, remember, didn't they used to do like 10 year plans with like <laughs> Tom Randley, Landry had a 10 year plan, you know, all that yeah. type of stuff. Back good luck in the day. to you. I'm telling you. We're all week to week in the NFL. Trust me. If you think beyond that, you're you're not you're kidding yourself. Trust me. Yeah, I've said for years we're all three weeks from a total mutiny. So if you got a four or five year plan, that's good for the next staff. The next group will have we're a four or five year plan. We're all three weeks from a mutiny. That's yeah, isn't that totally. True? That's just the you way really the NFL are. is. Totally. You're three weeks from a mutiny. That is great. <laughs> <laughs> so much for long term. So yeah. anyway, that job though, I mean, I so I don't know. It's probably a little early to to know what he's what he's going to go after, but. Um, 
I don't know. I don't know how I feel about where they're at because whatever they bring in next is not going to be on the same timeline as the GM either. So yeah, that, you know, it's just. I think it's. It, I think it could be a really good job because I think it's a good franchise in in a city yeah. based on on really wanting to love their team. Um, yeah. Tepper seems a little temperamental at times. Obviously involved more than the yeah. average NFL owner, so he's got you know, and and that's his ball. He can do what he wants. I don't know if that job is for everybody because of that. And yes, Scott Fitter, both of us have known for years. I think he's very sure. good at what he does. I think he'll you know, acquiesce to wherever Tepper wants to take the team. But I agree with you. If they want a proven commodity who's been a successful, a success in the NFL, obviously the GM's job, he'll have something to say about that. I just remember when when we were in Miami and I was the GM and, and Nick Saban left to go to Alabama. Ownership and the powers that be above me went on an excursion themselves, Mike, they interviewed six, seven, eight coaches, and I wasn't even involved. And I was the <laughs> sitting GM. So their, their, their comeback to me was, we just want to make sure that they're okay with you, which I totally understand. The new coach has to be okay with the GM. What it told me was that they would like to have me stay regardless, but they wanted yeah. to make sure that anybody they brought to the finalist table, we were aligned and on the same page. That to me might make some sense in this Carolina uh, search, to be honest with you. I think probably Tepper and whoever his confidants are, maybe they interview six or seven or eight guys and, and bring back three or four guys for Scott to spend time with, and they narrow it down that way. It's not a referendum on they don't want Scott, but it's it's obviously a position that they're going to have two people in two different chairs, and they've got to make sure that it's it can be an arranged marriage, but they got to make sure it's one from the heart. That's for sure. Yeah. I kind of think of Dan Quinn there a little bit, just with, if you want to find a connection with Scott Fitterer. You yeah. know, those are two guys that were together in Seattle, obviously. And uh, right. um, I don't know you know, who else Fitterer might have on his list, but that's just at least somebody who's done a really good job. And I think Dan Quinn is the, has kind of reinvented himself a little bit as a, as a caller and has had time to think about probably. I think he's one of those guys who's always trying to get better and improve his processes and, and from what I could tell. So yeah, he's done a great job with Dallas. So, um, and his you know. success at, at its peak was in Atlanta in the NFC South. So Carolina is going to know of that. It's yeah. going to be a, an easier fit because he has had success in that division. And I think that would bode well for him in any type of an interview because yeah. he's going to know the lay yeah. of the land probably better than most. Yeah. Let's go to Indy now too. Um, which has just been a fascinating place with Chris Ballard, I think the GM there, probably marginalized by the Jeff Saturday yeah. hiring. The owner seems, you know, unhinged a little bit. Um, my no, guess, no, that, no, 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 no. <laughs> my guess is that long term, Jeff Saturday's probably got a future with the team in some way. I don't think he's going to be a, you know, a sixteen hour a day coach, but I think he could definitely be an advisor be in the front office. I wouldn't put it past her, say, if he was even the GM or something like that. You never know what's going to happen there. I guess the question for me with them is, you know, to what extent we would buy into a, a Jim Harbaugh type going there. One of the things I think I wrote about this on Monday was just, you know, for the most part, Ursay has had different types of personalities there in Frank Reich and Chuck Pagano and Jim Caldwell and Tony Dungy, all pretty polished guys. And I think uh, Jim Harbaugh would be, different there but obviously he played there and they kind of need a shakeup maybe what do you think 
Yeah, I actually like the Harbaugh connection. I think it makes some sense. Um, Chris Ballard has already acquiesced his own position and said, hey, I'm willing to take a, a sharper personality uh, as, as a partner. I mean, we must we forget he hired Josh McDaniel and who left him uh, standing at the altar and didn't end up taking the job. So um, I think Chris's personality is such that he could get along with anybody. And I know Harbaugh has been tough for certain people to work with. He had apparently a lot of pushback when when him and uh, Trent Baalke were together in San Francisco. I don't know who's to blame for that. But Harbaugh does seem like a fairly reasonable guy. And so I think there is probably some traction to that. I'd almost take it further and say that I'd be surprised if somebody from the Colts hadn't already talked to Harbaugh. Um, I don't know that Jim is going to make a jump like that, but he, Jim has in the back of his mind, and this is just my opinion, when they asked him to take a pay cut a year or two ago, and then he's turned it around now with two great years since then, I think he's got a little chip on his shoulder from having done that. And I think he'd like to prove that, hey, I can go back to the NFL. We know he flirted with the Vikings job last year, um, but I'm with you. I think there's some traction to the Colt situation being a decent fit. Whether that works out or not, I don't know. Will there be others? Yeah, I'm sure there will be. But I, I don't I don't hate that idea, that's for sure. And then what do you think about what it means for the rest of the uh, front office there? Do you think that, you know, how do you think Ballard's affected? He signed an extension before the year, too. So, And how do you, how do you feel about that in general, too, with an owner? Let's just say Jim Irsay, he's going to eat Frank Reich a lot of money the last next few yeah. years. Does that make it more likely that, you know, uh, Chris Ballard would stay? Or, or is that a... If a Harbaugh comes in, does Harbaugh care who the GM is? What do you think of that as a potential fit? And then factoring in, too, that Jeff Saturday may be in the mix somewhere, too. Yeah, I think Chris Ballard is there. I'll be honest with you. I don't think he's going anywhere, whether it was the contract's extension or just his way of doing business. I think that has solidified himself there. Sure, they've had an underachieving year, but the combination of Chris Ballard, Ed Dodd, who's his right-hand man, another former Seahawk guy, um, I think those guys are firmly okay there. I don't think Harbaugh will demand the front office um, structure that he might want. I think he's more apt to want to coach the team. And I think that's good for the Colts. I don't think Jim Harbaugh would be in a position to to bring his own GM, to do his own thing. And I don't think Ursay would acquiesce to that at all. So um, I think those guys will be given a chance. And like you said, it would not shock me if, if you introduced Jeff Saturday in some fashion in a front office advisory role, a consultant to the owner or something like that at the end of this. I think Jeff's going to have his fill by the time this season gets over with the demands, like you said, on his time, the criticism, everything that comes with being a head coach. I think it sounds like a great idea. I'll, I'll be interested to hear how he feels after having done this for 10 or 12 weeks, um, especially if they don't have success. I don't know what he's going to be able to also bring to the table that, hey, I can make better um, after this amount of time. So I could yeah, see him maybe. doing something else. Yeah, I could see that, too. I think one of the things before we started, too, I think you made a good point, too, about Ballard, that he's that he's proved, you know, a willingness to work with anyone. Heck, he was trying to hire Josh McDaniels. Right. So mm -hmm. um, that's a good I think that's a good point, too, that he could. He could work with whoever it is uh, there, and we'll see on that. Uh, those are the two that are open. We've got some others that I think are going to be open. Um, Denver is going to be interesting, certainly with the new ownership there. I don't know 
What's your general feel when there's a new owner coming in and there's a situation like this where a change has to be made? There's a, there's a holdover GM who's got a long contract. There's sort of a lot of things. They're locked into Russell Wilson. What, what do you make of that kind of situation? Well, I think it comes down to the relationship and the chain of command for as far as the communication goes between, let's just say, George Payton, if he's the highest-ranking football guy, and the new owners. I, I know this, when when he hired Nathaniel Hackett, that was before the new owners came in officially. But if they had been identified, and you might be able to help me with that, had they been identified as a as an owner, as a likely, you might have gone through some of this with them ahead of time. I know my time in Seattle, we had two owners for, gosh, I don't know, six or eight months. And so you do juggle back and forth uh, as the messenger. You have to message your ownership. They have to be involved. But the Hackett deal was done before the Walmart people took over the trade for Russell Wilson. I can't remember when that happened, but the doubling March, down it was March, like March eighth or something like and that. And they had not taken over for that for for ownership. I don't believe at that point either. But the pain of Russell Wilson and the fact that I'm sure George has had to double down about Nathaniel Hackett and Russell Wilson to the behind new the ownership scenes, group. Yeah. yeah, behind the scenes. All all this is behind the scenes. But he had to. Uh, pick his lane on those two acquisitions. Those are his big two acquisitions with the coach and the, and the quarterback. And so I don't know where that stands with regard to ownership and how believable anything is from this point forward, because let's face it, those have been swings and misses to this point. The big thing is I think Hackett's probably proved that he could be replaced. If the owners want to have their own coach, I totally get it. They might be stuck with it with the quarterback right now. And that's the elephant in the room for me is, not only if you're going to make a change at coaching at the head coaching spot, who wants to come in there and deal with that? That's going to be have to be planned out and talked through at nauseum before I'm taking that job. It, no matter if I'm Sean Payton or or some other assistant somewhere else, it's it's yeah. the elephant that has to be dealt with. So if you're a coach about to go in there, um, and uh, let's just say there is a coach about to go in there, and they decide, you know what, I'm going to go to. I, I was looking at MuellerFootball.com. It's got some of the best content anywhere. And I know Randy does some consulting. I'm going to call Randy as a consultant and say, hey, Randy, I'm thinking about putting my name in the hat for this Bronco job. What do you think? Is there any way I, I you know, I'm a coach of quarterbacks. Is there any way I can get this guy, Wilson, going in the right direction? Is he really this bad? What, what do you think? Should I, should I try to take this job or should I run for the hills? I don't think I could advise someone to not take the job, but I do think you better have a plan B. Let's let's just face it. You may or may not be able to fix Russell by by installing a different offense that fits his skill set. Because I don't think his skill set was this when he was at peak powers in Seattle, and it's diminished since then. Whether they can regenerate his legs, his quickness, his ability to get away from rush, his processing, I don't know. I'm doubtful of that. So my advice to that coach, that to answer your question, is you probably have a, have a, have another option, and his contract may make him where he's. He's, he, he's on the team. Russell Wilson's not going anywhere. So we're probably going to have to do, make do with less as a team build because that money's just going to sit there. But we can still find a quarterback, whether it's a veteran somewhere or a second or third round pick somewhere because we've limited uh, ourselves with, with draft capital. I just think you're going to have to have another option that you can at least open the job for a comp- to compete. Um it's, it's a tough pill to swallow if you can't resurrect Russell Wilson, but I think you've got to go into it knowing 
and and having thought through a plan B or a plan C at quarterback. And I don't have an answer for that right now. Maybe when we dig into the draft yeah. quarterback guys, you'll have one that, hey, I, maybe there's a guy in the second or third round that we can get. And then it doesn't matter if you play him or not. Uh, it doesn't matter who's paying, who's freight, the best guy is going to play. And so that would have to be a conversation that I would I would definitely advise a coach to have to have with whoever, whether it's the GM or the owners or whoever. Okay, I understand we got to keep Russell, but can we do this? Can we do that and have some options in play? Yep. Uh, I want to get to Arizona. We'll hit on Houston first. I think Arizona is interesting, but uh, Houston, man, I mean, is there any way? I never really, we never really felt like that the Levy Smith was their choice anyway. So I'm really not sure what to make of them, but it just feels like, they're a team that used to get talked about a lot because uh, of the Deshaun Watson stuff, and now they're just sort of off the radar. Oh, yeah, they could be a place too. But guess what? They're going to have a lot of high picks. Yeah. Uh, and the Jack Easterby situation, he's gone. Yep. So the skies have cleared a little bit for the future there. It's, it's actually not a bad – might not be a bad job. I guess it now depends what happens with the GM. Yeah, I think they're irrelevant for now, but they could be relevant quickly based on just the things that you've said. Here's the hard part if I'm Nick Cesario, the GM – I've hired two coaches who you could say both about the same, just what you said. Nobody thought Lovey was the long-term answer. Nobody thought David Cully was the long-term answer. Now we're going to hire a third coach in three years. That's unprecedented. I don't think anybody's ever got that opportunity. I don't care how long of a contract Nick has. So I feel like there's probably some some, uh, give and take with regard to his future if they hire a third coach. I think that's a place that you might see a veteran coach, you know, let's just say a Sean Payton or somebody like go in there, but bring an assistant GM or bring somebody with him that can work with Nick uh, to kind of make uh, enough change to where we're yeah. actually building this team and getting better. This is year three, and I don't see a lot of getting better and a lot of progress being made. That's the hard part. What's so interesting about this, Randy, is I feel like, yes, technically, he's taken two swings at head coaches. I feel like they're both check swings. I feel like... Why, though? Why? Hasn't, For what, what, because I, I feel like he hasn't made his move. I feel like he hasn't made a move. These were all, uh, oh, I guess we're not, we'll just hire this guy. They were all sort of like fallback moves. None of these felt like, oh, yep, I can see that. This is the guy Nick Casario was going to get. I feel like they haven't even made a move for a coach, even though they're on their second coach. Does it, Do you feel any of that? No, I feel it exactly. It, it, they both are check swings, but I don't know. Do you get a third swing? I don't know. That's a hard one because you put yourself in that position. Maybe the first time around you can say, well, I came on so late in the process. We had already lost the guys I wanted. Hey, he could have hired anybody he wanted last year. Anybody. And I don't think they're dictated by money. I don't think anybody says well, no. I think the ownership is willing to give you whatever you want. So could, if this is the they? best we could yeah. do of, of the process that we implemented... You know, maybe they blame these two hires on a Jack Easterby. I don't know. I mean, I don't know him. I don't know the process. But you're right. It's There's been something lacking. And now the question is, do you, do you do it again? Do you do a third one in three years? Well, we felt last year, though, when they were in that hiring cycle. Remember the, the Flores stuff was coming down, lawsuits. And yeah. it was kind of like, remember there was talk about Josh McCown could be hired and it would have been yeah. a huge outrage. Uh, and so then they just go with uh, Lovey Smith and... It's like at a certain point here, you have to, have we charted our course or what? How long do you get before you chart your course, right? I mean, you can't just uh, well, have yeah, forever. I, I like your analogy. You got to get a full cut at some point. I'm not going to yeah. go sit down if I don't get a full cut. And I don't know what transpired. I don't know how yeah. the process led them to where it did, but it's probably been 
two underachieving, you know, swings for sure. And now what are we going to do? I, I don't know. I, the, yeah. When does the owner, if he can, step in and just say, hey, enough. We're going to hire Sean Payton. We're going to give a first round pick and we're going to pay $10 million. That's enough. Let's move on. Yeah. They're the team that can really do it and needs it. The credibility, the whole thing, the direction, and yes. they have the picks, right? So, And Houston is a great football town, Mike. I was lucky to spend some time there. These people yeah. are passionate. They love yeah. it. They, they, I feel bad for them. First, the Deshaun Watson deal and the whole way that played out. Then they've been stuck in this mud for two and a half years. Ever since you know Bill O'Brien left, they've really made no progress. So it's just, I feel bad for the people. So it should be they, better than that. They never should have moved the Weathers, Randy. Man, I want Love You Blue back. You know, I want all that. Uh, I don't know. Those yeah. days, it was a great town for yeah. it was a great town for football, and it should be again. Arizona, okay. We're going to talk about the Cardinals. And <laughs> Peter King did a great job laying yeah. out this Cardinals timeline of of uh, futility or, or bad stuff. And I've narrowed it down. I was joking. I was, I, you know, Peter writes, I don't know how many thousand words each week. I felt like a few thousand of them just to list all the bad things that have happened in Arizona. Yeah. Uh, no, but this right. is pretty darn good here. Okay. December 6th, 2021, the Cardinals were in the driver's seat for the one seed in the NFC playoffs at 10 and 2. Since then, they're 5 and 12. Okay. And this is the boiled down list of what Peter wrote. But okay. So since then, the last 51 weeks, Arizona has lost to 1, 11 and 1 Detroit by 18. Lost by 23 to the Rams in the wild card round, and really one of the most discouraging, dispiriting playoff performances I can remember. I mean, just Agreed. absolutely defined them with yeah. a stain. Throttled. Uh, yep. Yeah, throttled. They were pounded into submission. <laughs> Peter didn't write that part. I'm, I'm adding to Peter's writing. Here. <laughs> you edited uh, Peter's work. I'm, I'm, oh, I'm going to tell putting, him. I'm going to tell him. Oh, you, yeah, you I'm, adding, I'm adding Peter's. So for <laughs> this is all, anyone get mad, it's all on him, but I'm adding to some of this. Uh, they paid big money to, to the GM, the head coach, the quarterback, when they didn't have to do so. Uh, they had the homework clause fiasco with Kyler Murray, the quarterback. Mm -hmm. They traded first and third round picks to Baltimore for Hollywood Brown, who is not exactly lighting it up and is now hurt. They had their best player, DeAndre Hopkins, suspended for six games. They lose by four touchdowns to the 49ers in Mexico, where, as Peter knows, the Cardinals have NFL international marketing rights. <laughs> I don't even know that. And are trying to cultivate a strong fan base. It was a home game, for crying out loud, for mm -hmm. the 49ers. The fans mm -hmm. there are unbelievable. They have Kyler Murray on pace for a worse statistical season than Zach Wilson, Davis Mills, and Taylor Heineke. Uh, and then they have dismissed multiple coaches for incidents involving mistreatment of women, including their offensive line coach, their running back coach. Uh, unbelievable, isn't it, Randy? And that's an unbelievable run. I'm trying to think of other runs like this. This is kind of Cleveland Browns-ish when you add all those things together. Yeah, I agree. I think it's it's been a, I wouldn't call it a downhill slide. I think it's been a downhill avalanche, and and I don't know how it stops. And really, for me, it goes back to the end of that Mexico City game that Peter referenced in that I saw players, I don't want to say lay down, but they were definitely making business yeah. decisions. And anytime I see players making business decisions, I take that as a referendum of they don't believe what they're doing, and they're going to save themselves for the next staff. And when that when I saw that, it sent me back a little bit to how did the, how did we get to this? And I thought more than anything, probably the the doubling down on the GM, the head coach, and the quarterback in the offseason may have led a long way to this dispirited effort. I think you you can't fool players, and least of all, you can't fool your locker room. They know if leaders are what 
they should be or shouldn't be. Nobody has to say anything. They just know. And I felt like when they gave Kyler that kind of money, then they put the homework clause in there. You and I were kind of snickering about it. Really, oh, everybody yeah. was. Yeah. So do you think the locker room isn't snickering and, and playing with that behind the scenes? I promise you they are. And they see it every day. So they're saying, gosh, we're going to pay this amount of money for this. And then we're going to pay the coach who has the same agent and he's going to get his based on what? Our collapses the last two years in, in the uh, second half of the season. So he's really done nothing to take the target off his back. And then the orchestrator of all of it, really, Steve Keim, who's the GM, who, as we see, if you watch Hard Knocks, meets with the coaches every week and kind of lays the land out for them. Another leadership question for where they're at right now. So um, I just think that players saw this and, and they're willing to say, OK, I get it. I'm just going to save it. I'm going to I'm going to pump the brakes here yep. and save it for the next group. And and uh, my body's only going to take so much. And I don't think and I don't believe we're headed in the right direction. That's kind of my take. I could be totally off. But no, judging the locker room from afar, I think can be done in some instances. Yeah. And you said you never fool the players. And when you hold up Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury and, and reward them. Uh, they know whether that's justified or not. Yes. And I think we would have all said, well, we kind of want to see more. You know, we'd like to see more. Yeah, why? Why would we do this? Yeah. Yeah. Why would you do it? It's almost like you're it's almost like you were trying to do a victory lap that, hey, we did it. We got the right guys. Yeah. Hey, the, these are them. Uh, <laughs> you know, just kind of. Yeah. Based uh, on what? We hadn't beaten anybody. Yeah. So now I think we ask. uh you know, what should happen next? You're obviously not going to get out of the Kyler Murray deal for a little bit. So he's going to be there and, and probably, probably should be. I mean, he's a talented quarterback, at least he has some flaws and inconsistencies, but um, you probably are going to roll with him for another year or two. A name that came to mind, I was actually talking to someone about this last weekend, uh, just off the cuff. Hey, who, who should they get? Uh, The person mentioned Lincoln Riley, they should get, but uh, what do you think, if you're going to go from Kingsbury, uh, what type of a coach or does that make sense? What do you, what do you think about the next guy? Well, I think they'll probably end up going a different direction, which most of these franchises do. And when I say a different direction, um, Lincoln Riley's been a college coach his whole life. Cliff had been a college coach his whole life. So even though I do think Lincoln Riley is a step in the right direction, for one, I think he'd be crazy to leave SC for a job like this. He could stay at SC for 10 years and give out 85 scholarships a year and have a lot more margin for error than he'll have if he goes to the Arizona Cardinals and has one first-round pick every year. The landscape for team building is hard. Nick Saban and I used to have this conversation a lot. He'd say, in a kidding fashion, we only have one first-round pick. I said, yeah, coach, we got to make it work. We only get one. I said, man, in college, I get five or six every year. I said, I understand. It's not for everybody. It's 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 a tough road to build in the NFL. So I don't think Lincoln would do something like that, especially at an unproven place where Arizona yep. has had more step backs than step forward. But I like the idea. Uh, I just don't know that it's going to be the right fit. I think, to answer your question, you're probably looking at a more veteran-oriented coach, someone maybe with some skins on the wall at the NFL level. Time will tell. And again, I don't know that they're even going to change. They just they just paid all these guys all this money. I don't know if, where Michael Bidwell weighs in on any of this. Uh, yeah, what are they gonna? What are they gonna test? It's just been kind of a mess. Just kind of yeah. been a mess all the way around. And maybe they just try to say, "Hey, we got to regroup in the off season." But it just seems like they're a team that needs more than a cosmetic change at this part. But they've committed themselves in areas where 
it's sort of hard to undo some of those yep. for now. No doubt. Um, all right. That's probably our last one. I, mean, I think the Chargers are above 500. They've been talked about. You got anything on them or do you think we just wait a little while? Yeah, I, I don't think the Chargers, and when you're talking specifically about Brandon Staley, I don't think he's going anywhere. I think his relationship yeah. with the front office is solid. Um, I don't think the front office wants to hire a fourth coach. So I think they're yeah. going to ride this out, whether fans like it or not, really do, doesn't matter. I think they're going to ride this out. They, they've got to find a way to build a deeper team, I think, and have more guys because the injury bug seems to hit them every year and they run out of players. But I do think they're going to, stay the course. I can't see these kind of changes yeah. that we've talked about with some of these other franchises happening with the Chargers at all. And it was a big win for them. They beat Arizona. They're above 500 and they can yeah. still finish with a winning record and we'll see where, where it leads them. I, one of the, th you talked about the injuries and no one wants to hear it as an excuse, but it's always a, seems to be a reason to some degree for them. And I noticed this week that I think Justin Herbert has had 27 pass attempts this season with Mike Williams and Keenan Allen on the team. And it was yeah. 700 and something over the previous two years combined. So, you know, as much as people have, have complained about the offense and Joe Lombardi and some of that could be, you know, maybe they could do a better job. That's a huge thing, I think, to just not have your guys to throw to. And oh, yeah. and uh, they've got to find a way to rectify that, whether they get new guys maybe <laughs> right. or something, because this, this just can't keep happening. So I agree. All right, let's move on to the Bengals. Bengals might be winning over the football GM. You know, we we both took Tennessee and Cincinnati against Cincinnati last week. I think it was a we saw it as a contrast of a of teams on the different ends, maybe of the toughness, grit, punchy in the face yeah. scale. But the Bengals won the game without Jamar Chase, and obviously they were in the Super Bowl last year. We love Joe Burrow. Maybe it's time for a little revisit on the Bengals before they face the Chiefs. If they beat Kansas City this week, of course, we'll be talking about it. But let's talk about them now a little bit. What do you think? Are you, you know, has have you come around on them or changed your tune? Uh, well, based on what we've seen. Yeah, I, I agree, Mike, and that we've both been skeptical. And I think there's been reason for that. But I am coming around a little bit to to yeah. say that, and I'm not saying it tongue-in-cheek. The defense yeah. sold me after this week. That's really what did it. In a league that offensive plays, offensive playmakers get all yep. the credit, we know Joe Burrow, we know Jamar Chase, we know what they've done offensively. I was really impressed with the defense and and what Lou Amar How do you say his last name? The defense Anarumo, yeah. Yes, uh, what he said. <laughs> <laughs> Has done an outstanding job. And I and I know we outside of Cincinnati probably had never heard of him before the Super Bowl run last year. But to his credit, he has kept things together and I think produced a really good, solid defense. And let me just say this. They held Tennessee to 63 yards rushing, two yep. rushing first downs, 0 for 3 in the red zone. Um, and they yep. aren't that complicated on defense. But they'd use different alignments. Their numbers in the box vary. Their coverage is simple, but not, you know, but they're fundamentally sound. And I think the team plays really fast. That's a hard thing for defensive coordinators to equate in their own mind. They've got to be simple enough that we can play fast, but yet complicated enough where the offense can't figure us out. And I think yeah. what Lou has done there has really done a good job with regard to that. I think their design and, and the adjustments that they make week in and week out kind of go with what we've been saying, or at least I've been saying for forever, is that the second half of seasons are all about coaching. And I'm not so sure that didn't have a lot to do with their run last year. It was a lot about coaching, especially on the defensive side. Now, they have 
Joe Burrow to lean on on the other side. But defensively, this team makes adjustments. They have players that buy in. Um, I didn't see people and don't see people running free like I see all around the league, busted coverages and things like that. Plus, the other thing that tells me that they have complete buy-in from a locker room, especially the defensive guys, is I always look at this, and we talked about this with, with Arizona. Tell me how the secondary tackles and show me that, and I'll tell you if a team's buying in or not. God, that's a great. You know what? Yeah. I thought of Green Bay when you said that. Yeah. They, they, the secondary tackling and the effort that they give tell me if they believe in what's going on. So it's a hard, it's a hard one to follow. Um, but in this case, I see a secondary with the Bengals that are buying in big time. Mike Hilton is their nickel guy. And I saw him make two or three tackles last week, Mike, that thought he was Dick Butkus. And he's a little corner playing in yeah. the sub packages. And so I, I really watch the tackling. And this team's giving it up. They're on. They, every week they've been buying in and, and sacrificing their body. And so that tells me they've really bought in. So I guess to answer your question, yes, I'm I'm buying in a little bit on the Bengals now. I'm kind of changing course. And and I would say this, after the game, I don't know how much you saw of that game, but there was genuine giddiness and happiness in Cincinnati's locker room and with the players after they won that game. And it tells me that one, they were tired of being criticized. They were tired of being told and thought of like we have thought of them really here on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. And they wanted and they let it out. So they exhaled. The locker room afterwards, I saw where the coach said, hey, everybody's talking about our schedule being murderer's row, this or that. His response was, they got to play us. How about that? All these other teams got to play us. So it's a tough schedule for everybody else too. And I thought that was a great thing to say and it hit home for me. So sorry to be so long-winded, but I I think that the defensive philosophy that Lou brings every week to let's play to win the game is actual fact. And I saw it on tape when I dove into their defense. I love secondary tackling as a proxy for buy-in because uh, yeah. it is just a great way to think of it. I'm all, when I watch some of these games and you see those types of decisions made, one of the ones that kind of bothers me that I see a fair amount of time is, you know, when a guy's probably going to score yeah, and, and he's kind of coming in at the one or two yard line and sometimes you'll actually see the DB kind of pull up like, hey, it puts his hands up like to breeze past him. Yep. Easy for me to say. I'm not sticking my nose in there and <laughs> risking an injury. But I always kind of like it that that the idea that we're you know that protecting every last blade of grass. I, I want to see that from the team. I think that type of stuff matters, even mm-hmm. if the guy probably is going to score. Like how do you, how are you playing? How are you laying it on the line? And to, to, the thing in the secondary is a great way to look at it because that's where you see a lot of those decisions being made. Always. Know? Yep. Always. <laughs> Yeah. And they're not getting paid to tackle, they would say. But when they do it, they're they're doing above and beyond, and and that's a pretty good signal as to if we have a buy-in or not. Yeah, I love the Lou Anarumo story and hiring because he really that was a job. It seemed like they were even having trouble filling. You know, <laughs> you know yeah. it was it, he wasn't a it wasn't seen as a sexy name, right. and he just seems to have been just a quality good hiring. And think how important that is for. Think where Zach Taylor was at at one point in this whole thing. And obviously they got Joe Burrow, and that's a huge part of this. Without him, this is probably – we're not talking about anybody in Cincinnati right now. Right. But um, that's been a really good hire under the radar. Maybe we'll see his name coming up for some of these head coaching candidate interviews just to check him out, see what what he thinks. Yeah, you see Matt Eberflus going from the Colts to the Bears. Lou's no different. You see um, Wink Martindale always mentioned here and there. Lou's not as flashy as them, but – 
he's every bit as competent. So yeah. I could see his name coming up for sure. All right. Another name that's come up has been Greg Roman. And he is the now pretty longtime offensive coordinator for the John Harbaugh coached Baltimore Ravens. Before that, he was offensive coordinator for the Jim Harbaugh coached 49ers. And before that, he was at Stanford with Jim Harbaugh. And Stanford is looking for a head coach after David Shaw announced his resignation from the program. They're going to look at Greg Roman. And I think that's very interesting, Randy, because it feels a little bit like Lamar Jackson's career. I don't know. Crosswords is, crossroads is a little dramatic of a word, but maybe not. Uh, their offense hasn't been as good lately. There's, I'm sure, some personnel issues surrounding that. But it kind of leads to the question, if, if they were to lose Greg Roman, what should they do with their offense? What can they do with their offense? What does... We know how Lamar Jackson enables a coordinator with all the special things can he do, that he can do, but does he limit one too? Or is this the opportunity to go in another direction and open this thing up and develop more of a drop-back pass game? What do you think? Well, I think it's a little bit of all the above. I agree with your take on, on Greg Roman. I think if I'm Greg Roman and have a chance to go to Stanford— I'm gone. I'm, Great I'm, I'm moving, gone, done, end of story um, for, for all the reasons. And that's not just a run from the NFL. I just think it's a, it's a, obviously it'll be a better financial move for him and, and really a longevity move, if nothing else. But I think that not necessarily Lamar is at a crossroads. I think the franchise is at a crossroads when it comes to quarterback. When you, when you combine the ongoing contract negotiation that's been happening for really two years now and no no end to that still. You combine that with the type of offense that they, in my opinion, have to run with Lamar. They There, there may be a, a room here for some other options. And, and I've said that for a couple of years now. I'm, I'm probably not going to pay Lamar the $50 million a year and fully guarantee that he's been demanding. But you have to unless you have another option. You can play it out with some tags for the next couple of years. That's that's obviously an option. You're not committing long-term dollars, but you are committing big cap commitments to go year by year. That's the negative to, to those kind of deals. I think I would definitely look for an option at least to, to give us a chance going forward. I think the Ravens have found out this year they have more holes than they probably were willing to admit. And to do that... It's going to be hard if you have to pay a quarterback $50 million. So I guess what I'm saying is there's a lot of reasons here to just think about everything being on the table. Um, I don't know if they could run a different offense if Greg Roman wasn't there. I, f- I feel like the offense that they're running is more suited because Lamar's skill set than actually that's what Greg Roman wants to run. I don't know. Do you have a feeling on that? Well, I'm I, okay, let's, let's buy that though. But what I, I guess what is our evidence – of him running something else. Cause I know he had Kaepernick for a while, but he had Alex Smith too. And it was a very run heavy offense. I think of him as more of one of the run game coordinators. Most of these offensive play callers are pass game guys. Then the offensive line coach does the run game, right? That's mm-hmm. the way it is for most teams. Roman has always struck me as kind of being the guy who loves to go into the lab as the run game designer. And then uh, shoot, this has been sometimes a criticism, even of a Kyle Shanahan, who's very well regarded that the drop back pass game is, is limited. And then you get into that whole right. chicken of the egg. Is it limited because of who he has a quarterback? Right. right. Is it limited because that's the way he wants to do it? And so right. what evidence do we have that uh, Greg Roman wants to actually do a more dynamic drop back pass game? Do we have that anyway? 
Yeah, no, I think you're right. And those are valid points. I, I don't know his history like Andrew just Luck? laid out. And was he Andrew Luck? Did he have luck? What's that? Did he have Andrew Luck at Stanford? Well, if, even when he did, their run game, even at Stanford, was thought of, I think, more highly than their pass game. They've always been a run-scheming offense, even at Stanford when Harbaugh was there. So um, I think there's some merit to that. And I don't he know. Was a, yeah, he was tight ends coach there, an offensive line coach yeah. with Stanford, well, so he wasn't calling it. But Yeah. Know. Was that was that Pep Hamilton? Was he there then? Or? That was 2009 I, I and 2010. So yeah. uh, I, just, I, I guess I just haven't seen – I, enough to know. Yeah. And he comes from that offensive line background a little bit. I mean, he's, he's a tight ends and offensive line. He's coached quarterbacks too. It's just, I guess I'm not sure that I would say for sure that uh, I agree with you. Okay. Maybe, maybe he doesn't want to do it this way all the time, but I'm not sure that he's itching it to do a different way either. And shoot, when he was in uh, Buffalo, didn't he have Tyrod Taylor? Yes. So it seems like he's always had somebody who, uh, you could say the quarterback's the reason that he's doing that, you know? And so I guess this is the question, because I've had a lot of conversations, obviously, with people about Lamar Jackson. Do you think that he uh, can sort of round out his game more and and that they could get him some better offensive pass weaponry and play a little bit more of a pass game and 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 open up the throttle a little bit in that way? Or do you think, no, geez, we better just keep doing it this way? Well, I think you can always upgrade your personnel. There's no doubt about that. I think they can find ways to give him better options on the perimeter. I think they can find that. They could even add speed at running back that they may or may not have in the group. So they can find ways to score from longer distances, which to me means opening up your playbook uh, just from a personnel standpoint. So I think those are options. And I think really the crossroads may come from where uh, John Harbaugh is and where the hierarchy is in regard to our style of offense and how far this can take us. This offense they run now has not taken them where they want to go. At some point, the definition, what is it called? Yeah, insanity. Insanity is to keep doing the same same thing thing over and over again. So at some point, they got to ask that question. I don't know. I don't have an answer. Yeah. They were always that team, even when they paid Joe Flacco, Randy. Remember when he won the Super Bowl and he got a huge contract? Mm -hmm. Uh, Even throughout that, they were able to keep the defense and special teams in the top five or top ten of the league. Now what we're seeing is they don't have that. The defense is not what it was, and it doesn't look like it's going to be what it was. So if the great era of 20 to 25 years of Raven defense, I mean, just think of that legacy. They've been the best defense in the league, or certainly over the last 20 years. Um, if they are now going to be like everybody else and just up and down on defense, and now you're going to maybe pay Lamar Jackson and it gets harder to do that, um, then what could be written five years from now or down the road, we'll be looking back and saying, wow, I guess Ozzie Newsom was pretty important there, right? Or that type of a thing, because they've always been able to take for granted that they had great defense. And if they don't have that and are going to start paying Lamar Jackson and then try to run a limited offense, um, what makes us think they're going to get any further than they've gotten already? Yeah, no, I agree. We've we've just listed four or five reasons that they probably need to open the playbook a little bit. So maybe we've answered our own question. We've kind of come full circle. I don't know. I just think it's you're it's without question the defense isn't what it has been. Whether Wink Martindale leaving and hiring this young kid to run their defense is a big part of it. Maybe it's part of it. But I'm yeah. thinking their personnel yeah. isn't what it was either. And nope. I agree with you. If we're going to have a run first oriented offense, we better have a a hell of a defense, and and I don't see the combination being there right now. So I think there is change in the wind, and I just don't know how high up the 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 pole it goes. 
Randy, unless we borrow a couple timeouts from Jeff Saturday here, we're gonna have to we're gonna run out of time on our podcast. So let's just get into the GM notebook. Uh, what do you got in there? And then we'll get to our picks. Well, we've talked about a few of the things that I had in there. There's a couple things that <laughs> I steal from your notebook. Yeah, I'm you reading over from your my shoulder. Notebook. Hey, you're, you're like half the other teams in this league stealing from my notebook. That's yeah, what bullshit. Do you got? Yeah, okay. <laughs> One thing I did, I do think we need to hit on, and I had this in my notes, is the Mike White performance last week. We've talked yeah. a lot about Zach Wilson and his ability to not run the things that they've given him uh, in in New York. Mike White played a really good game last week, and there's a lot of Jet fans that think they found their quarterback. And I went into this with the idea of, well, let's pump the brakes a little bit. I haven't seen enough of Mike White yet to to say we've got our franchise quarterback. But I'll say this, after watching the one game, he showed me a lot of things that I didn't know he had. And it made me do a little more research uh-huh. uh, to kind of lead us to believe that, you know, they might have some more answers than than we think, at least those of us on the outside. Um, I think if he continues to play like this, and his play was anticipatory, it was instinctive, he processed, he did all the things that we had not been seen from Zach Wilson that led me to believe, hey, this guy's he's got a chance if he continues to, to, to put a body of work together. Yeah. Now, in the past, last year uh, in particular, when they did give him this job, he kind of regressed, and it didn't put all of the the same week by week uh, stacking of good performances together. But this kid came out in 2018. So he's been around. He's on his second team. He was a fifth round pick of the Cowboys. So he's been highly thought of. And when you look at him, you forget the guy's almost 6'5". He's 220 pounds. There's something to like. I mean, this guy stands in the pocket. He he jumps into the to the lanes. He's not afraid. He'll throw with people in his face. He's got a good enough arm to make all the throws from the pocket. They even last week had him rolling out a couple times, and he made throws on the run. So I liked what I saw. Here's yeah. the ironic thing about it. Let's just say he plays good enough to keep this job for another month. And, and you helped me research this. He's a UFA at the end of the year. So wouldn't yeah. it be something if the Jets finally find their guy and then they lose him to the Washington Commanders a week later when free agency opens? I would rather have this guy hey. than Taylor Heineke. I'd rather have him than a bunch of guys around the league. So it'll be yeah. interesting hey. to see how this works out. But that was in the GM notebook as a, as a topic hey. that we didn't discuss. I don't know if you have any oh, thoughts no. on Mike White. Well, it is. Here's what I say. I can, I can, unlike our, our listeners, I can peek into the GM note. I even know what the number two thing is. So the number two item plays into this because Randy, sometimes the backup quarterback that no one's thinking is going to be anything, spends some time in the background and works on his craft. And I watched, uh, Kaylin Kaler, who I work with at the athletic does this uh, podcast series where she talks to backup quarterbacks and she had just by chance a month ago, she had talked to Mike White for like 40 minutes. And so she published this after he got the job. But it was all before that. And just listening to him, you could tell whether it turns into anything or not. I mean, he's been taking his craft seriously. Yeah. And so he's been watching this and probably learning from his mistakes and Zach Wilson's mistakes and seeing things. And now he is doing everything the maybe the right way, right? Trying to run the system. He's got maybe a clearer head. And that may lead us into our, the second note in our GM notebook regarding who? Well, the other guy is, and I had this ask of me by a Seattle media person this week, and I hadn't really thought through it. The other one is Geno Smith. What do you do with Geno Smith now? He's 32 years old. He's been working in the dark for, what, seven or eight years. <laughs> I mean, trust me, it's it's hard to do. Any of us that have had jobs at the top before, when you go back to working in the, in the dark for a long time, it is a disciplined, long, lonely grind. And 
we've yeah. been lucky enough to have good jobs to, to put us there. But Gino had a starting job and it went away. And he went and worked as a backup for all this time. Now he's having some success. He's doing things that he's learned along the way. Hey, we all know we'd be better at our job today than we were eight years ago if we just yep. stayed and worked in the dark, no matter what the industry or your job is. Gino's done that. But here's the hard part for Seattle. What do you do going forward? It, it, the analytics people would put a chart out there and say, you got to pay Gino $35 million a year now because that's what it that's what he's earned. Whoa, 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 whoa. Now, now we're changing the the changing the criteria here. It's not on. A, he's not on a, a one year uh, likable cap friendly deal. If you do that, and can you use the body of work that he's put out in ten weeks uh, as a barometer for paying him on a long term deal? Frankly, I couldn't do that. And I I think Gino has played as well as anybody in the league, but I couldn't pay him long term like that. I think you're more likely to see a Seattle team use a tag of some kind. Maybe it's a transition tag. They'd probably be happy with compensation that they would get from him and use an A-pick to draft another guy to have a longer-term plan in place as an option as well. What do you think about that? I, well, I think Seattle will be emboldened by their decision to go away from Russell Wilson and have it work out when, frankly, they thought it was going to be Drew Locke probably starting. I think this shows them – this allows them to double down on their program, right? Pete's program. And I don't mm -hmm. think they think this whole thing turning this year is because of Geno. I mean, they love what he's done, but they're going to probably see this as, wow, shoot, we probably should have traded Russell uh, a year earlier and just get back to our program. we got the mojo in this program. We'll coach up. We'll coach up, guys. We've done it before. Yeah. Geno's doing it. Shoot, if we had to play Drew Locke, we'll be excited about that too. Isn't that Pete Carroll? So uh, now the thing about the Geno negotiation specifically is, even though he's had a really good year, I don't see a huge market out there of other teams going to thirty million a year. Right? There's not going to be that, is there? I don't know. It only there, takes one. I don't know. I don't I, think I, so. But I, yeah, yeah, I hadn't thought so, about it to be honest with you. So, but I also think there's. I think Gino's best situation is in Seattle. Hundred percent. And he's got a great thing there. He's been around, and he deserves some coin off of this thing, right? So I think the I worst agree. thing that could happen would be for him to get more than he should or in a different situation and have it not go well. And it's other for other reasons. And then Seattle, you know, they're doing whatever. Now the X factor here is that Seattle is going to probably have a really high pick from Denver. So they may be able to draft a quarterback. I think there's, if I'm Seattle, I'm thinking along those lines. Now you're not going to know before the draft who you're going to get, but you know where you're going to pick. Denver's pick might be third. It might be fifth, it might be eighth. Uh, wherever it is in there. And that could allow you to have a feel for what should we do uh, with Gino. They have to do a great job in anticipating and defining what his market's going to be. And then can you come to him, Randy, and just do a good deal? Can't can't you give him a couple years worth here and just set him up for life without going to the top number? Or what I, you would, I would definitely try to do that. And I'd probably have already tried. I, I think he's played well enough to where I think you can talk about a two or three year deal for sure. And as long as the numbers aren't crazy, I would make the deal. Because here's the other thing. It gives you options come draft time. You don't have to pick a quarterback at three, four, five, wherever that pick yeah. ends up, like you said. It gives you options. And I think I would like to have him under contract knowing that. And I think you're right. It's the best place for Geno. And it should be in his, you know, uh, it should be top of his list to stay there. And I think it benefits both sides. I don't know where the tipping point is, though. That's the... That's the rub, yeah. right? How how high do you go? Is it twenty million? Is it twenty two? I couldn't approach that thirty million. I just that's that's crazy to me. But you know, it's somewhere between yeah. you know fifteen and twenty. I don't know. 
That, yeah. That's something that you got to you got to figure out. But I would definitely be trying to do that. And I think you're right. If I'm Gino, if I get some security, maybe there's some guarantees involved there that give me 35, 40 million guaranteed. He, he, I think he's crazy not to do that. Yeah. And when you look at the, when you, you know, some of those middle class deals have kind of gone away, haven't they? Yeah, Everyone they have. Them. So if you look right now, here's the guys that, so, so the bottom guy of the top guys, okay? The poorest rich guy of the, of the top quarterbacks. Brady's at 25 million. And then there's maybe a 10 or 12 people above that all the way up to 50, okay? Mm-hmm. Then there's a huge gap where Baker Mayfield's at 15 and Jameis Winston's at 14. And then we get down below 10 for the Mariotas and those guys, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, so to me, Geno Smith should be just what you said. He should be higher than Baker Mayfield and lower than yeah. Tom Brady, right? Yeah. I mean, put I him, put him. And so the compromise between those two numbers is $20 million. There you go. So do you do a two-year deal, a two-year 40, a three-year 60, and then you can get out, you pay him, but you, you, as a team, you can get out of it after the third year? Well, I, after I the would. second year, I mean, after the yeah. second year, you get out of it the second year easily, you know. And if I'm Gino, I say, fine, just give me thirty guaranteed, and I'm yeah. set for life, and it, and and everybody gets what they want. Yeah, I like that one too. It is a fascinating one, a good problem to have. I love that idea though of having a top five pick. Hey, if we if we eval a quarterback and love him, great. But if if not, maybe we like one in the second round, and we and we still have Gino, and then we've yeah. you know we got a couple of options there, and we're not all in, and then we use that top five pick for. The defensive lineman they really badly need. You're going to get like a that. great player picking in the top five if you don't limit your own options. If yeah. you've got, if you're looking to fill a need, that's a mistake. So yeah. get the best player available, and I think you got a chance. Yeah. All right. That it for the GM notebook, or you that's got it. one more? You, you that's robbed it. Okay. all my other parts, so we're done. We're I robbed on. it all. I think our, we're wasting our time anyway. Here, we probably should move on. Yeah. Well, before well, we, the we listeners do. hit off. Clock management here. Yeah. You know, clock no management. Kidding. All right. In the picks last week, Sando was a resounding two and one, <laughs> winning with Pittsburgh plus two and a half, Miami minus eleven. I lost with Tennessee plus two. Randy was one and one. He also won with Miami, gave the eleven. Houston was up or down thirty by thirty at the half, and then just like me, lost on Tennessee. And we tip our cap to Cincinnati, yep, because uh, we went with they, they proved us wrong. This week, who do you got? Well, I got two games, and I've been stuck on this two team or two game cycle. Yeah. And for some reason, I, I just kept him. Maybe it's just that the NFL is so hard to make a pick on, right? Especially when you're yeah. using point spreads. I'd like to have four or five games I felt good about and, and throw them all out there. But I happen to like Seattle. At, give, they're given four and a half to go to the Rams this week. I just think the Rams are playing out the string. I just haven't seen any juice in what they have going. I don't think um, Stafford is going to play this week. I think they've been very un, uninspired. And I, it's my opinion that the Rams can't wait for this season to end. I think Seattle still has some some desperate measures. They're coming off a loss that they felt like they should have won. That was a bad loss to the Raiders. So I like Seattle, even though they're five-and-a-half-point favorites on the road. And the other game that I picked was I like the Giants as a home underdog, one-and-a-half points versus the Commanders. I just think the Giants are a better team, I'll be honest with you. I think they, they're due to, to, to make a little run here. Um, I don't love, and, and we've said this before, I hate to beat up Taylor Heineke all the time, but I don't love that. I see guys dropping interceptions that he throws every week. I don't think the Giants will, and I just think they're a better team, and you get a home underdog. What do you think about Washington's defense, though? Does it, it's pretty good, isn't it? Or- it is. I like their defense. They're finally playing to where their personnel has a chance. They've they've underachieved for 
two years there with the same scheme. So they're finally catching on. They're playing well enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like Day- I like Dayball and what he will do from a planning standpoint. I think he will take advantage of some of the some of the aggressiveness that Washington has shown, especially the last couple of weeks, and use it to run some traps, some counters, some screens. Dayball's pretty good at that. I I like that matchup. Yeah. It just—it feels like the the Giants are just sort of due to win one here mm-hmm. and get back going. I'm just not sure uh, if they're done or not. You know, maybe they've yeah. maybe yeah. they've had it. The other thing was I saw Seattle at seven and eight as a favorite. Did you? Where did you get four and a half, or was it five and a half? Is I got it out of my good? newspaper this morning. Well, good for you. All yeah. right. Hey, you're a paid paid subscriber. All right. I wasn't sure on that one, but <laughs> so I'm sticking but, uh, with it. Even if you can st- believe hey, the newspapers now, you I'm talking to, about, to a newspaper guy here. But yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. I can believe. Okay. It. I'm on the interwebs, so that's where I find the mind. And uh, uh, but hey, that's good. That's good. Now I put down a few games here. Uh, am I foolish for taking Tennessee and four against Philly and sort of doubling down on that? Maybe being a one-off by Tennessee last week, and they go to Philly, who and, and maybe they're able to sort of make Philly work for it more. I think Philly hasn't hit the skids by any means, but I think they, you know, they've suffered a couple personnel losses and I think they can be made to be a little bit one-dimensional maybe by a good team Tennessee is going to look at that film of Green Bay's defense I would love to see Mike Rabel coaching the Green Bay defense after last week I think Tennessee has a chance to make it a field goal game what do you think I think they have a chance I do think they're licking their wounds they probably thought they should have beat Cincinnati they didn't and again I always go back to who's more desperate I do think Philly's going to hit a roadblock here or two this might be one of them so I'm not against that pick at all Yes, yeah, because so, I, I kind of look at Philly's schedule. And I'm like, is this team just going to win, lose one or two games the, all the whole year? You know, you probably yeah. lose a couple here. Maybe that's one where I'll take the four points with a battle-tested Brable team uh, on the road uh, there. I also am inclined to take Cleveland minus seven. I think it's a little bit of a, uh, you know, wild card situation with a new quarterback for the Browns. But uh, Houston, wow, uh, can't be too good. So I'll take Cleveland. I'll give the seven. It certainly worked out last week with uh, – you know, whatever it was, 11 points given with Miami. And I'm tiptoeing up to this line on the third game. Um, I'm going to stay away from it. I'm going to stay away from Vegas plus one and a half against the Chargers. I was tempted to take the Raiders, but I think they're a little bit hard to trust. But that was one I was just kind of looking at. I don't know if you have an opinion on the game. Had the Raiders not, and I think the running back from the Raiders, um, Josh Jacobs, uh, Jacobs. he plays tough. He he um he covered for Josh McDaniel in my opinion. I did not like some of yeah. the things that Josh McDaniel did last week in the game against Seattle, and I thought Josh Jacobs made up for it. I just don't know if they're going to be capable of doing that again. So although I I, yeah. I see where you're going with the Raiders, I'm just Josh made a couple curious play calls and some other things that just made me a little nervous. I I, I don't know. I, I don't yeah. know if I could pick yeah. them just based on that. And I know they won the game, so. Maybe I'm just a little bit of a skeptic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I and I think I talked myself out of it too. You know, uh, yeah. but but it's just sort of one of those where, yeah, we'll see. Josh Jacobs, by the way, you know, they're an interesting team, the Raiders, to me because they paid guys like Waller and Renfro who aren't playing, and Josh yeah. Jacobs looks like the guy I want to pay. And I know we talk about paying running backs and all of that. I'm not talking yeah. about that. Yeah. I'm just talking about the way he's playing right now. Yeah, hats off. That's a tough player who's playing hard and bringing it. And without him, they wouldn't have a whole lot going for him. <laughs> Between Just him and the rusher, and you help me with the rushers. Max name. Crosby, yeah. 
That's the X. guys I want on my team. That's the heart and soul of my team is those, yes. those guys like that. And then nothing against Derek Carr. I get it. But those two guys to me, especially in the Seattle game, those are the guys I want I want to go to war with. Yep. I really like that too for them. So we'll see how it works out for them going forward. Randy, let's get the heck out of here before we take too much uh, too much more time. But first, I'm going to tell everybody you can find Randy Mueller's work at MuellerFootball.com. You can find him on Twitter at, at Randy Mueller underscore, Randy Mueller underscore. You can find me, Mike Sando, on The Athletic and at Sando NFL. It's snowing outside here. Do you have snow? Is it snowing right now? It's been snowing forever in Idaho, yeah, so yes, I don't think it's ever going it. to yeah, stop. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned it. So yeah. we'll try to dig you out here if we can get out. Uh, someone's <laughs> got a basketball game tonight. We'll see if we can get out of here, too. Uh, but let's get out of this podcast and do it again next week. What do you say? Sounds good, Mike. See you next week. All right, man. This was The Athletic Football Show. Hey, football fans, this is Diana Rossini from The Athletic. Get the top stories in pro football snapped directly to your inbox with our latest NFL newsletter, Scoop City. Jacob Robinson and I will bring you the daily scoop of top NFL articles, posts, and podcasts every Monday to Friday. Sign up for free now at theathletic.com backslash scoop.